welcome to Kelly Minds Her Manners, a podcast about real estate and entrepreneurship with a twist. Here's your host, Kelly Robinson. Paul, it's amazing to see you. It's been such yeah, great to see you too. Yeah, I'm so honored that you agreed to speak with me today. And I think the audience is going to be really excited to hear from you. So, yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. So, for those of you who don't know, Paul English is a serial entrepreneur, tech guru. He founded Kayak, Lola, recently Moonbeam, and quite a few others. His goal is to start up one new company every four months. And not only is he an amazing success, but he's also one of the kindest and most compassionate people that I've met. So I'm really excited to have you today, Paul. And let's get started. Yeah, Uh, thank you. It's great to be on your show. Yeah. So kind of a general question at first, but what made you want to be an entrepreneur? Was it planned? I started off my career as a programmer. I worked full-time when I was in college. I worked as a programmer, kind of switching companies every 18 months or so as I tried to learn the industry. So I did medical technology, video game development, operations research, real-time data acquisition. And I had a lot of fun coding, but I also was really intrigued by who was running these companies that I was working for. And with one company in particular, I became close to the founder and I just thought, I could do this someday, you know? And then after I graduated, I worked for one tech company in Boston called Interleaf. And I worked for them for six years. It was a long time. I started as a programmer, then ended up running engineering. And then my last year, I ran marketing. And doing both engineering and then marketing learned me more about more skill sets you need to run a tech company. And then after that, I went and began my journey. And now I've been running companies for the last 20 years. Amazing. You've become an expert at building teams. What would you say is the most important aspect of building a great team? Yeah, first of all, I will say that recruiting is the most important skill for an entrepreneur because if you think about the best person you ever work with, and then you think about the worst person you ever work with, you know, what would you do in order to have 10 more of the former and none of the latter? Our lives are just transformed at work when we work with people who are both exceptional, the skill, but also really fun people, like kind, ethical. And I just try to surround myself with people like that. So the main thing I do with recruiting is I'm just always recruiting. In each meeting, I get excited when I meet new people thinking, oh my God, I'm going to meet someone new today. This is fun. Let's learn about them. And in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, I wonder if this is someone I could work with, either at my current company or some future company. So I'm just like kind of always recruiting. And I think that's probably the first guide. And then there's a lot of things about how you interview people and how you hire them. And there are you know many books written on those topics. I used to lecture on these topics years ago, but it's just something that as an entrepreneur, you have to realize your most important skill is the people you're going to bring onto the team and just get good at it. Like read books about it, listen to podcasts about it. Yeah. So what's one hack that you would say about interviewing somebody 
that maybe a lot of people don't know about? When I'm interviewing product people for a tech company, I like to ask them about the products they use every day, like the apps on their phone, for example, and what they like about it, what they don't like about it, what they would do to make it better. And I want to make sure they have a critical eye and they can bring new ideas to the table about really any app, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, good designers and product people will always have ideas on how to improve those apps. And I want to hear that. So I like having conversations about that. And then the second thing is I like hearing them talk about their former teams. Mm-hmm. And so I ask a lot of questions about people they used to work with. And it's not that I'm trying to learn about those people per se. It's more that I'm trying to think about how people evaluate teams. I've just a bunch of very specific questions about that. And I, I look for people who are effusive about some people they work with because we all want to work with people who are excitable and get excited by working with high-performing teams. So yeah. you want to see that they have that in their past, but also that they are someone focused on growth, you know, growth for themselves, personal and professional, and also helping other people with growth in their own careers. That's really great advice. Thank you. And you have a passion for design. I mean, yeah. that's one of your passions. And you're a creative person to begin with, right? I mean, you're also a musician. Yeah, I would say former musician. I'm not really playing that much these days, but I used to be a very serious musician. But it's true that like at Kayak, I did a lot of things there as an example. I was CTO and co-founder. But at the highest level, I would say I did two things for Kayak. I recruited, and then I worked with the design team on what each feature at Kayak could look like and what were the next features. And I had three great designers at Kayak that I've managed. We actually, for your listeners who work in tech, one thing they'll find unusual about Kayak in the early years, let's say for the first five years, we didn't have any product managers. So I really acted as the product manager for Kayak with input from a lot of people. Yeah. And I heard on one of your other interviews that you actually used to go and do things that are different to research your products. Like you used to buy plane tickets that were cheap just to get through security, right? So that you could yeah. people who were using kayak or tell them to use kayak and see how they used it. Yeah, it sounds a little crazy, but I would in the early years, particularly in our first mobile app on iPhone, when the iPhone came out, we were one of the early apps for the iPhone. And I used to go to Logan, buy cheap ticket to New York, even though I wasn't in New York that day. And I would sit in the terminal and approach people. And I'd try to be really polite about it and say, hey, are you going to New York? Yeah, I'm a designer. And I have this new app I'd love you to look at for a second. It's a travel app called Kayak. And do you mind taking a look at it? And I want to see what you think about how we help you find flights that works, I think, a lot better than other sites. And usually I would get people to say, yeah, sometimes people like didn't want to be bothered. They're busy, whatever. And that's fine. But usually I could get people to agree to take a look at it. And then I would actually bring two phones with me. I would hand them my iPhone and have them start playing with it, playing around with cock. And then I'd use my other phone to record them and kind of interview them as they were using the app. And I would frequently just say, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you looking for? And try to get them to speak out loud about what's confusing them about the product or what things they don't understand. And then I would bring those videos back to the engineering team and just tell them that the best way to learn is through actually talking to real customers. Yeah, absolutely. That's unbelievable. Have you done any other out-of-the-box types of things like that with Kayak or with your other companies? Another thing I did 
again, this one also was a kite when I first did this, is I bought a red phone with a mechanical ringer. It looked like a bat phone or something. <laughs> and I put it in the middle of the office. For a time, it sat on my desk, and then it sat at another desk. It was the center of the office. And we put the phone number for that phone on Kike's website and would randomly get phone calls during the day. And I would answer it. And people would see the other engineers, like how much I wanted to talk to customers. And I love talking to customers. And a lot of times the people who called were ones who had problems. And many times they were upset. But if you take someone who's like angry, they're really just a passionate person with a bad experience. Mm -hmm. And if you flip them, they then become a passionate person with a good experience and they become really advocates for you. So I was really obsessed with talking to customers and trying to flip their bad experience, a good experience. And then by doing this, we had an open office. I didn't have an office per se. I had a desk in the middle near the other desk, but the engineers could hear me talking to customers during the day. And I think it inspired them, hopefully, that they too should talk to customers and learn from them. Absolutely. That's awesome. So tell me about your most recent passion, Moonbeam. Yeah, so Moonbeam is a podcast player. I like 100 million other people or hundreds of millions of people have become obsessed with podcasts over the past several years. And as someone who spends their day job designing and managing software development, I have become really picky about the software that I will use. And when there's something that's mission critical for me, which is like listening to podcasts, I'm always trying to learn by different podcasts. But when something is mission critical for me like that, I become really picky about the software. And I found that the Apple podcast play just had a lot of bugs in it, like a lot of little UI things that I just didn't like. And I then said, okay, one of the luxuries of being in the software industry is if you don't like something, just design something better. So we set out to design Moonbeam. And Moonbeam was very much focused on, one, having like a really beautiful UI that's very simply clean to use, gives you all the features you need, but also focused very much on discovery. How do you discover that next great show to listen to? And so we built a machine learning platform that studied your interactions with the podcasts. You know, did you listen to an episode all the way through? Did you skip at a certain point? And based on watching your interactions and comparing you to other users who like similar podcasts to you, would recommend new shows. And then I ended up selling that company a month ago. Amazing. Congratulations. Is it kind of like how TikTok or Reels kinds of... It's very similar. It's yeah. very similar. There's a feature in Moonbeam called Beam, which looks a lot like TikTok in that you'll immediately start playing a podcast episode. If you don't like it, you swipe up and swipe up, swipe up till you get an episode you're interested in. And then from that screen, you can favorite something, you can subscribe to it, you can share it with a friend. You can create a clip. If there's one particular highlight of a show that I think is, oh my God, that's amazing what that person just said. I go back and I make a clip of it and I can send that clip to my friends to say, rather than send them an hour long show, just say, this is one really amazing thing that the guest said. And I'll just send them a 30 second clip or one minute clip. I mean, that's so great for users, but it's so great for the podcasters as well. I think so. It lets them get their shows in front of more users and in front of users who we think of a high likelihood of liking that show. That's really interesting. So you know real estate pretty well. And I'm in real estate, so I have some questions for you about real estate and tech. What, if any, do you think is the most disruptive real estate tech company? And how do you see the industry changing, if at all? 
Well, the most shocking news in real estate tech is the WeWork founder announcing his funding through Andreessen Horowitz this week. He raised $300 million at a billion dollar valuation just with a PowerPoint deck. Like he has no tech yet. He doesn't have a team yet, but he just announced a plan that even though WeWork ended up flaming out pretty badly, he built something really impressive from scratch. And now he's saying he wants to move into residential real estate in a really big way. And Andreessen Horowitz is just betting on him again. And they acknowledge that he had some problems at the end of WeWork, but hopefully he's learned from those. And the details of what he's working on haven't been released yet, but all of us are looking with eager eyes as to what Adam's going to be working on next and what that looks like. So that's the thing that caught most of my attention recently. But, you know, I am a big fan of Compass. I like that Compass has their own app and their own agents and the app works nicely. I use different apps in different cities. Like in New York, I'll use Street Easy, but I'm looking for companies that provide an app that's incredibly fast and clean to use that you use with your agent collaboratively so the agent can say here's five properties i think you want to look at this week and you just scan through them really quickly and say i like this one i don't like that one i think the app can facilitate the agent relationship and to me being able to work across multiple mediums where you're meeting your agent in person going on tour they get to read what you like what you don't like but then between meetings, being able to test with your agent or use an app with your agent to look through listings, I think it really helps the process a lot. Yeah. And I find that people really enjoyed the ability to comment on listings and have all of their comments and notes in one place. It keeps you really organized. But as far as AI is concerned in real estate, there are so many companies trying to remove the broker from the transaction. And I'm just curious, as somebody in tech, what you think of that, if you think that's ever going to really happen. I tend to like my brokers. I tend to trust them. They know me really well. If a broker is really great and he or she knows the client really well, they can save the client a ton of time. Like They won't bother showing you things that you think they think you're not going to like at all. So I tend to like working with agents. Some agents are better than others. And so... My advice to people looking to buy their first home is to try out a few different agents and see which one really clicks with you. I do think that AI will help, but maybe the AI is a tool that the agent and the client use together, and it can help narrow down what they like. I do think TikTok is a machine learning app that all of us have learned from in the tech industry. And that by exposing you to tons of content and looking how you interact with it can narrow down what you like or not. So I'd love to see someone build a TikTok for real estate. And even if it's not real homes that are for sale, just to show you pictures of home and images and some criteria at home that you can simply like swipe left or swipe right, like Tinder, like, don't like, that could learn your preferences pretty quickly by looking at how you interact with dozens or even hundreds of homes. I think that'd be interesting for a tool that agents and consumers could look at directly. And as you know, working with clients, I have friends that are realtors. They tell me like some of the frustrating stories working with clients where a client will tell them something very specific they're looking for. And there might be nothing in the market that that's specific. They'll say, okay, my budget is absolutely X and I absolutely need a three bedroom. And then you find out later they bought something which is completely different than what they had said. Yeah. And it shows that buyers are finicky mm-hmm. and we as buyers don't always know what we want. And we have some ideas, like hopefully we all have budgets, but 
I think a good agent will tease out what are the things that will make a place special yeah. to one particular client. I think that's a great point. You've spoken a lot about compassion. A few times when I've met with you, you've talked about that a lot as something that's really important to you, both in business and you're not only on the board of seven different nonprofits, but you've already also started three of your own. What about these specific nonprofits that you serve on the boards of and that you started made you passionate about those specific things? I feel it's a great luxury that I'm able to spend so much time working with nonprofits. I'm on, as you said, I think eight nonprofit boards. Four of them are nonprofits that I started that I'm still running. I mean, I've hired executive directors to do day to day, but I'm still very involved in four different nonprofits right now, which span everything from schools in Haiti to racism and racial wealth equity in Boston homelessness. And now I'm starting a new nonprofit focused on bipolar illness, bringing together bipolar people to kind of help each other navigate. But it is, I think, a luxury to be able to spend as much time as I do in nonprofit. But I think compassion starts with compassion for yourself and accepting flaws that we all have in ourselves. And many times we all have negative self-talk, you know, we'll like swear at ourselves during the day, kind of under our breath. And I will say, you know, oh my God, I was so stupid. I can't believe I said that. And one way of compassion for yourself is to view yourself as a child or to view yourself as someone in their 80s or maybe even 90s. And if you think about yourself as a child, you know, you'll love that child because who doesn't love children? At least most of the time, you know, who doesn't love children? And I think having compassion for yourself is the beginning of opening up compassion to other people. And then there's a lot of exercises, like I study Buddhism, and there's a particular meditation technique called Tonglen mm. meditation that's about compassion development. And you don't have to start a nonprofit or even give money away to a nonprofit to become a compassionate person. I think it starts with compassion for yourself, compassion of the people you encounter every day. And to realize that when someone wrongs you, if you think to yourself, if you had the day they had and their childhood and their genetics, you would have wronged you too. And to accept people's behavior, there's a Buddhist thing which is around radical acceptance and our stress comes from resisting the truth. But sometimes the truth is not pretty, but if you resist it, you're causing stress in your body. And if you're angry at another person, you're causing stress in your body. There's a Buddhist saying that being angry at someone else, like drinking poison and expecting them to die. What we need to realize is being angry is bringing violence upon yourself. And I think that anger is a choice. I learned from a teacher named Thich Nhat Hanh how to get rid of anger for my life. And I, I'm someone who had anger in my teenage years, in my 20s, but I almost never get angry anymore. Even if someone wrongs me, I just kind of accept it and move beyond it. And when I do get angry, it transitions very quickly to acceptance. So those are some of the things that have helped me. That's amazing. That actually, you know, leads to my next question, which you might have already answered. You've been very open about your journey with bipolar disorder and with one in four and maybe more adults struggling with a mental disorder. 
including myself, I have struggled with generalized anxiety my whole life. And in my past younger years, sometimes felt like I was damaged goods or, you know, maybe it was hopeless for me. What would you tell a young person or any person for that matter who is struggling, especially in silence with a mental disorder? Silence is the enemy of healing. So I think that when we have health issues, whether it's physical health issues or mental health issues, the first thing to do is to find people to talk to. And sometimes we're insecure about our health issues, particularly our mental health issues. There are all these stigma against it that you're seen as defective if you have depression or anxiety disorder, bipolar, whatever. And I would say you don't have to necessarily go on social media and publish like, I had panic attacks today and, you know, whatever. Like, you don't have to go out there and be public to everyone. But I think starting really simply with find someone in your family that you trust and open up to them and be vulnerable. And then find someone at work that you trust, that you feel safe with. And then one of your friends that you trust. And if you can find those three allies in your family, your friendship group, and in your work, you can tell them what's going on. That's the beginning of healing is to have discussion and have people be compassionate for you. And then to find people with your condition can also be really helpful. So I think, again, silence is the enemy of healing. And we heal starting with discussion and compassion and finding other people with our condition. Yeah. And just because you struggle with something doesn't mean that things are hopeless and you're not going anywhere. Because look at all that you've accomplished. I mean, people can really look up to you or somebody like you who, you know, done so many amazing things for the world to change the way that people experience travel and other things. And you've made a huge difference in other people's lives through your not not for profit work. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I actually have a few questions from audience members. Um, okay. You'd want to answer. Bob Shaw 2020 said, what motivates you to create new companies? I think it's two things. One, I get really excited working with good teams and creating a company is an excuse for me to create a team of people organized around some initiative. So a lot of people have ideas for new companies. They say ideas are worth zero. What matters is execution. But the first step you need when you have an idea is to find that team that's going to work with you on that idea. So the team, getting people aligned and getting people excited to start something together is step one for me. And then the other thing is, like, I'm a pretty happy person, but I'm also really critical of technology. And sometimes I'm embarrassed to be an engineer, looking at how bad technology is. I mean, it's crazy. Like, why does Bluetooth not work? Like trying to sync to your AirPods. How come that doesn't work? Like, why doesn't someone figure that out yet? There's so much stuff about technology that doesn't work well. And it's kind of embarrassing. And when I see those things that are broken, I want to fix them. So I think it's those two things. It's the excitement of bringing a team together for the first time to work on something new together. And then fixing something that's broken. Yeah, you're fulfilling a need. Shirag Shah asked, what is your advice for building a great company culture? I don't know if it's going to sound corny, but it starts with kindness and listening to people and giving everyone a role. People generally quit 
their jobs for two reasons at the highest level. Either one, they hate their boss, or two, they feel like they have ideas which the company never implements. So if you want to create a really good culture, one, hopefully you train your managers to be really good managers who listen to people and excite people and get them motivated, give them positive feedback, give them constructive feedback, help them with their growth. But also you want to make sure that their ideas are heard and you give people an opportunity to fail. And if you have some of your team that has an idea they're really passionate about, even if you think it might not be a good idea, you should let them try it at a startup because startups are so unpredictable and most startups fail. And we never know on day one, what's going to be the one feature that's going to really resonate with users that's going to cause them to download this product. And so if you're good at recruiting and you hire people that are really exceptional to crap, but also really fun to work with, and someone has an idea they're passionate about, I'd let them try it. So I think it's kindness, coaching people, and make sure you're listening to people. That's great advice. And then Ocon Atlin said, what is the next big thing? Is it AI, blockchain, quantitative computing, robotics? What interests you most? I think it's all of those things are going to be changing every industry. I'm in particular very interested in AI right now. I own a Tesla. I'm a very happy Tesla owner. Um, I also am very happy Tesla stockholder. I was lucky to buy stock in Tesla many years ago, so I'm pretty happy with that. But Tesla, the thing I'm most intrigued with is the self-driving and it's getting really good. And although there's problems with it, when there's little problems with Tesla or other cars, it makes the headlines because it's almost like clickbait to post something negative about a positive product. The reality is if you think computers sometimes make mistakes driving, watch humans drive. I mean, humans drive drunk. They drive and text at the same time. They drive when they're tired. Computers don't have any of those problems. They're always alert and always paying attention. It's so magical to me that cars are going to learn to drive themselves. And they're learning that right now. I mean, other things. So there's an AI platform called OpenAI, and they have an app called Dolly, D-A-L-L-E. And you can type in a text expression, and then it creates a painting or photographs of whatever you type in. It's insane to me how well this works. So yesterday I typed in Yorkie riding a motorcycle in chalk, you know, in a colored chalk painting. Uh, Last night I typed in two women drinking wine and eating pizza painted by Van Gogh. And this painting comes out. So AI is getting better and better. It seems like every week I follow some people actually on TikTok who talk a lot about AI And it seems like every week there's a new breakthrough. So that's, I think, the most exciting to me of the the technologies you've listed. Amazing. So those are all the questions. I want to thank you so much for speaking with me again. I know I'm a newbie in the podcasting world. And so it's a real honor to have you. And thank you for answering audience questions. And we will put links to your not-for-profits as well as Moonbeam in the comment boxes below. So if somebody wants to get involved or donate or just learn more about it, they can do that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful speaking with you. All right. Have a good day, Kelly. Thanks. You too, Paul. 
Thank you for watching and listening to Kelly Minds Her Manners. Make sure to subscribe to the show and don't forget to leave us a review to tell us what you liked about the episode. You can connect with Kelly at Kelly Minds Her Manners on Instagram and TikTok or on our website, www.kellymindshermanners.com. 